The Fitness Hacks Podcast, Episode 37. Today, we're joined by Stevo of Habitry.com. Welcome to the Fitness Hacks Podcast by Redefining Strength. Breaking down fitness and the fitness business with some of the best names in the industry. And here are your hosts, Corey Lefkowitz and Ryan Heenan. Always assume that you're the idiot, not them. Always assume that you're the one who's not being clear enough, not that they're getting it wrong. That was just one of the many great quotes that Steve-O gave us today, and he was so passionate about everything he spoke about. But before we get into that, we've been getting some emails and questions, and so thank you for writing in. But one of them has been, how do you sell products and how do you build your email list online? So before we jump into it with Steve-O, I want to give you the one thing that we use to both sell products and collect emails, and that's called ClickFunnels. And if you want to try this for two weeks for free, go to redefiningstrength.com slash ClickFunnels. That's C-L-I-C-K-F-U-N-N-E-L-S. And this software is great. We've talked about it on a past episode, and it's really an all-inclusive software that allows you to do everything from hosting webinars to selling physical products, selling digital products, collecting emails, sending out emails as an autoresponder. So it's really an all-inclusive software. So if you're looking for something like that, be sure to check it out. That's redefiningstrength.com slash ClickFunnels. So let's jump right into it with Stevo and learn about creating habits and helping our clients create healthy habits that actually last and stick. And he gives us some great tips about how we actually need to treat coaching as being a good host. Steven, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell us about your background and your fitness journey and what led to your passion for fitness? Oh, man. Now I got to pull way back here. Uh, howdy. I'm Coach Steve-O. Um, and I think it was 10 years ago. Man, that's hard to remember. Um, I was, Get the hard ones out of the way first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, let's see. I was uh, overweight. Um, I had I was a sommelier, uh, and then I was in tech, and I had put on about 60 pounds selling wine out of my car uh, and did not manage to work it off selling designer furniture. Surprise, surprise. Um, and I think it was, a, it was a Valentine's Day, and my, uh, I was married at the time to someone who was more uh, physically active, and it was Valentine's Day, and I just sort of looked down at myself, and I thought, this isn't me and this is not who my wife deserves to be with. And it wasn't a revulsion based on my body, even though I was overweight, it was a revulsion based on, um, uh, passivity, like this attitude of, of having given up already at the age of what, 24 or five. And I put on, a pair of running shoes that I still had from back when I was in high school and tried to run a mile. And I didn't even make it a city block before I threw up, threw up on the side of the road, uh, in downtown San Francisco. But the next day I decided to try and do it again. And that day I made it two blocks before throwing up. And I realized that I had made progress. So that felt good. It was the first time I'd worked out twice in, like five, six years. And I also had the realization that this was not going to be something I could do on my own. Uh, I can't throw up every time I run and that'd be my only measure of progress. That would be a fool's errand. 
So uh, I asked my boss at work, the designer furniture company I work for, uh, and this was actually the hardest thing I did. When, when I asked for help, I happened to pick a guy who I was incredibly scared of because he was very fit and a jerk. Like he was a real asshole. <laughs> and I, but I knew he had a personal trainer. Um, and when I went to him and I asked for help and asked him if, if, he, if I could get his personal trainer's number, uh, he was a completely different person. He was like, oh, my God. Yeah, totally. I just think it's really awesome that you're doing this. And he was so nice because I really like rewarded my vulnerability by being not a jerk for the first time in our entire history together. Uh, and I got my, I got the phone number guy and his name was also Steve. And I went to him, told him I needed a personal trainer. And he said, great, well, let's, uh, go over and warm up. Just want to, you just run a mile on the treadmill and then we'll get started. And I had this moment of panic because I had yet to run a mile. I'd thrown up twice. And now my warm-up is i got to run a mile on this treadmill. That's the first thing we're going to do. And I, I did it. I sat, I've got on that treadmill. I ran a mile. And I didn't tell him that that was like I was already unlocked the greatest achievement just in the warm-up. Um, but we started doing stuff, and I got super lightheaded. And, and we had to go to the bathroom and throw up again. And I came out of the bathroom and he looked at me and he handed me an orange. And I, because I, my blood, he said, what do you eat? And I was like, uh, I ate a pizza today. Like, that's it. <laughs> and he said, okay, cool. Uh, like, no judgment. No, um, no sense from him, like, that he was, that, that I had screwed up or anything like that. He was just like, great, here, have this orange. Your blood sugar's probably really low. Um, and, and I, I, and let's just, let's just work on the basics. I said, well, I want to do all the things. Tell me all the things. He said, dude, just show up here twice a week. You're just going to work out with me twice a week. That's it. I'm not going to, you know, don't, don't worry about the food. We'll get to that. And over the course of the next nine months, one habit at a time, one little change at a time, uh, I lost about 60 pounds and it was, it, but showing up there. I got into, I got into mixed martial arts. I got into long distance running. All this other stuff would happen over the course of that time. But it really was that first interaction with, with Steve and seeing what a great non-judgmental professional can do to impact someone's life. Uh, and then later falling in love with the actual craft of coaching that led me into this career. Like it was the actual love of like, how do you create that environment for someone? Not so much like the spreadsheets and the programming. And I, n I always hated that stuff. Always. It was the actual craft of coaching, which, um, led me to, uh, become a personal trainer and then led me to, uh, grad school for, uh, sport performance psychology, um, and led me to meeting, Dan John, who became my mentor, uh, still is, and creating the, my company, Habitry, uh, which is all about these stories of helping people get better, helping people get better a little bit at a time and, and making changes in their life a little bit at a time. And I think the hardest part, which you sort of hit on, was initially asking for help. It's it, You can't even get started creating habits and making change if you don't make yourself vulnerable and be willing to sort of put yourself out there and ask a jerk for help even. Yeah. And that's one of the things we, 
we teach coaches uh, at Habitry, um, it's one of our many mantras, is uh, people rarely, if ever, change themselves. But communities change us all the time without us even noticing it happened. So I met Steve, but then I also met all the other people at the gym, the people named someone named Leslie, uh, another person named Ace, and like all this whole community of other people who had the same attitude that Steve had towards fitness, which is just like, this is how we do things here. It wasn't competitive. It's just like, oh no, this is just one of the things we do. And I got to, I got involved with that community and I didn't notice any of my habits changing. I didn't try. That sounds weird, but I didn't try. And if you fall into a community that has those values, it's non-judgmental, that um, from a motivational science standpoint, we call supports your basic psychological needs for autonomy, competence, and belonging to something, then you don't really notice having to, you don't really have to work. And that don't mean like, yeah, you physically have to pick things up and put them down, like that kind of like physical output of work. Yes, that still happens. But you don't, you have, uh, you feel more motivated longer. The habits come easier. It's just, um, it's just easier. And a lot of the work coming from uh, motivation science and especially uh, the work of Marina Miliaskaya, that's a fun word to say, and uh, uh, Michael Inslicht is showing that when you are doing stuff because it's the things that you value, when you're doing stuff because you're, and you have an internal drive to do it, you don't even notice the temptations to not do it. It just feels easier. I love that it's creating those values, but that's not easy necessarily to do to change your priorities. How would you recommend someone get started making something a value that hasn't been a value for them? Yeah, that actually is a tricky thing. And we know that uh, from, uh, from subsequent work on this, that it takes about nine to 12 months for most people to, to internalize those values. And, it really comes down to getting some momentum with other pe- cool people. Like if, if I can make it as simple as it is, having momentum with other cool people is how you do that, how you internalize those values. So finding other people who share your problem but who are passionate about getting a little bit better every day. Finding other people who uh, see the world the way that you see the world and want to make an impact on it, um, even if it's just their lives or their bodies. Uh, finding that community, which, frankly, nowadays is as easy as Google searches, like just finding some other people out there who are like you and who are working to get better at it. And I think that's the real value of coaches, is not the telling you what to do part. It's helping you find that tribe, helping you find those other people who are trying to get better too. And it can either be directly like in meeting the other clients, or it can be from stories that the coach tells you the other about their other clients or about other people like you. That's the stuff that really has the impact long-term. So finding help um, that makes you feel like you are not alone uh, and finding other people who can share that journey with you is, is key. 
I love the fact that you touched on the element of making that change and doing it every day. And I'm sure you can relate. I know going into something where you feel overwhelmed and you know you say, I want to make this big change in my life. If you try to do too much at once and too much from the start, I think it's harder to develop those habits. So I really love the fact that you say, hey, you can do this every day and make these incremental changes, not only as an individual, but with the group as well. Absolutely. And that everyday part is, is, is especially true in the beginning, to just sh- dedicate to showing up, um, making a habit of just showing up, like Steve told me to do 10 years ago. Um, that consistency and being able to uh, look back and see see how consistent you were is huge for maintaining that sense of competence. Um, and doing it with other people is just easier <laughs> Is doing it with other people because you feel connected with them. You don't want to let them down. Uh, whatever the reasons are, doing stuff with with other people is just makes it easier. Um, and that a, a big mistake, of course, that people make is going out too hard too fast, like I was go- tr- going to try to do. And that wears off pretty quickly. We actually have a name for it. We call it the habit hangover. It's usually around week three. Uh, week three is when your motivate your initial wave of motivation crests and falls, and you're what you're left with is the habits you've managed to build up over that time, and hopefully you can stick it out for the next wave of motivation to come along, which it usually does in a couple of weeks. But that's the game you're playing: is how can I impact my uh, environment enough? And environment also means social environment. Make new friends, uh, change my environment to make things easier when this initial wave of motivation goes away. And that uh, is a huge technique for people who find themselves doing, uh, learning new things consistently. They talk a lot about that. They talk a lot about making some changes to the environment, planning ahead for when they know that initial wave of inspiration goes by the wayside until the next one comes along. I think we so often, you know, think in the industry, okay, I have to tell my clients to join a community and it's really good that we do. And I love that you make a point that community is so important because it really is. And when you try and lone wolf something, you know, you don't have anybody to share your struggles with. You don't have anybody to go to advice or coaching. So you need community. But so often as fitness professionals, when they're trying to build their business, they don't reach out to other people. They feel that they have something unique that they can't share. You know, how do you encourage even fitness professionals themselves to to seek out a network. I mean, you you talk about your mentors, the people that helped you. How do you break down those barriers that a lot of fitness professionals have that don't make them want to share? Uh, that's, I am, I'm really glad that about a year ago, I wrote this book called We Make Communities because <laughs> I think that a bunch of people read it and then immediately started going out and making communities. And that includes coaches, um, making communities for each other. So the number of different communities that you can join as a coach has exploded. There's so many people, coaches out there trying to help each other out uh, because, yeah, this is a really lonely profession. Um, and it, it has a real dark side to it, which is always feeling like an imposter like, b- because you all you ever see is the people who are doing who are killing it on Facebook. And you don't really have honest conversations with other coaches about how freaking hard it is to do this job. Um, that's, I think, the most valuable thing that you can get out of a community as a coach is just alleviating that imposter syndrome with uh, honest conversations with other people who are doing their best 
and trying to get better every day. Um, if you are not familiar with a lot of these communities that are out there, I could list 50, but then the other 50 that I know would get mad at me. <laughs> so, um, uh, I don't want to make specific recommendations, uh, except to say that there is something for you out there. There's something like whatever you coach, there's a community out there on Facebook, um, or in a forum or something like that. Uh, they, they are there and they, a lot of them do very good work. I think that's an interesting point. I think there are parallels between real life and life on Facebook, per se, or social media or something like that, where there's so many tools and resources available if you make the effort to find the right ones. But at the same time, it's also easy to fall into those bad habits of not connecting with people or of getting wrapped up in comparing yourself to others. Because I mean, I think especially on social media, like you said, you see the people that you're almost jealous of or trying to copy or saying, why can't I be like them when instead you could be going after a community that will not only help you, but benefit everyone inside of it. The best ones definitely do that. And there's a, there's a really great trick for finding the really good ones, which is do they mean in person? Um, I will call out one particular example of this because I think he does amazing work and that's Chris Burgess at lift the bar. Uh, lift the bar is in the UK and they are, really dedicated to live meetups. Their community spontaneously meets up. Like if like, Oh, you're in Manchester. I'm in Manchester. Let's get drinks. Oh, wow. There's 50 people in Manchester. Let's all take over this bar. Like that kind of level of, of community. And if, if people meet in real life, in real life, it, it's hard to, uh, or we call it meet space. Um, it's hard to fake it. It's hard to fake real genuine connection and, and, and honesty and enthusiasm. So uh, check for places that meet up live and in person. Check for, check for those communities that are dedicated to bringing people together, even and especially not for money. Like if the, they just spontaneously meet together for fun, that's something special. And it, it just makes you have such a connection with people that you can probably get to know them on so many different levels because you are meeting in person. You can talk about those things and it can be social as well as, you know, business related. But say, and you know, a trainer's, you know, committed to making habits or changing habits and going out and building their own community. And now they want to start implementing this with their clients. Mm -hmm. How would you coach them to start implementing or changing their clients' habits? Um, I think the most important thing is not actually the habits themselves there there's great resources out there if you want just an actual like list of habits um we sell one on uh at habitry uh it's called the habitry starter kit and it's just a bunch of i think it's 52 different habits that coaches can get started with but actually that that list is not as important as the way that you communicate that stuff to your clients um we have three mantras to always that we encourage coaches to always remember when they're talking to clients about habits, about anything. Uh, and that is one, be clear, be clear in your expectations, be clear in what you, uh, are asking of them and what you expect from them, but check for it. Always be checking in with them to make sure that they understand Always assume that 
you're the idiot, not them. Always assume that you're the one who's not being clear enough, not that they're getting it wrong. The second one is be a good host. Think of how you would want to interact with how if you were throwing a party, how you would throw a party. You would let people know where the bathrooms are, let people know where the bar is. You would also introduce other people to other people, introduce new people to other people at, at the party to make sure that they had someone to talk to. Uh, creating that environment where people feel safe to hang out and and like people like them is so important for getting people to actually consistently do anything. So be think about being a good host and making sure that people know that you like them as a person, like as a human being. And finally, and this is the most important thing that anyone who's coaching anyone in habits should have tattooed on their hand so they can always look down at it. And that's be interested. Not be interesting. Be interested in your clients as people who are trying their best. And whenever you're communicating with them, don't think about how interesting you can make the information first. Think, give them the information, and then be as interested as possible in understanding how they've received that information from their point of view. So it's not just, here's a meal plan. It's, here's a meal plan. How do you feel about this meal plan? What's going through your head right now? How is this impacting your life? What do you think is going to happen? All of those questions matter so much more than the actual meal plan. In fact, the meal doesn't, doesn't really even matter. What matters is being so incredibly interested in them as a human being and as them as someone who's trying to understand it that they feel like they can trust you and that they can get some uh, self-awareness themselves around what it is that they're going to be doing. It's one thing to hand someone a meal plan. It's another thing to spend a, a couple of minutes with them going through it and trying to understand how it's going to impact their life because they might not ever think about that until they're home and suddenly don't even have baking soda or whatever the hell they need to make the bread that you suggested they bake. I don't know. But if you take the time to be incredibly interested in people, that will have more of an impact on their follow through and, and, and more of an impact on their concordance to whatever you're asking them to do. So just be painfully interested in what their life is like. I think that's those are three great points. And I mean, it's just about being genuine. It's about being authentic. And I really like that you call it being a good host because mm -hmm. it is about bringing somebody into your home and making them feel welcome. And even saying, you know, sending that thank you note afterwards by texting them to follow up and say, yeah. how are you doing? You know, it's that's such a great analogy for it, I guess you could say. But I just I love the be a good host. And I think it demystifies a lot of things like customer service and uh, uh, marketing. Like, if just think about it as how would you, how would I want this person in my home? Like, how, how would I treat them? Um, and and that's at the end of the day, the, the, that's the sneaky thing we're doing with them is let it, teaching them why our values are important to us, so that they can learn why they should be important to them. That's what teaching is. That's what coaching is. It's not making someone do stuff. It's creating an environment where they they learn why things are so important to you. Um, that's what 
that's what you're doing over the course of that nine to 12 months. It's got a fascinating, fun word. It's called organismic integration theory. Uh, but it's at the end of the day, it's treating people like adults. So they learn like adults and they learn to become adults. It seems like such an obvious thing when you say it that way, focusing on becoming the good host, because when you do that, you kind of cover everything else that mm-hmm. like you said, the marketing element, and different things like that. And to put a spin on it back to your original story of when you first came into the gym and you said you met your trainer and you met some other people. I think it's funny that a lot of places when you go in, they say, okay, we're going to pull you aside and do some sort of assessment and take you away from the group rather than including you in the group in the first place. So it seems like it's very intuitive, but at the same time, it's counterintuitive to a lot of people who haven't thought of that approach yet. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. (laughs) I don't know why it's counterintuitive. Um, but I know I'll, the pushback that I get from coaches a lot is, oh, I don't like throwing parties. I'm introverted um, or, or something like that. And I, I get it. And like, like the idea of a big, like, uncy party is uh, – it can be, can be frightening for you. I'm a huge extrovert, so I love them. But how would you – think about just being a host. You can be a host to one or two people in your home for a, for a, for a little get-together. Um, maybe play video games. I don't know. But everyone loves connecting with other people in some way. It's a people business, so it's a people craft. Um, there's something about it that you you love, and there's always something interesting about people if you give them a chance to open up. Um, another great lesson. I got all these lessons from my grandfather. I'm stealing everything um, from him. But he had another great slogan that he always taught me, uh, which is, remember that everyone you meet knows something you don't know. And if you go into conversations like that, of thinking that every person you meet, no matter who they are, what they're from, and what level of ability they have, they know something that can enrich your life. It's a good place to start. It's a good place to start being interested in people. Uh, all of the the habits and the programming and all that stuff doesn't mean much if they don't like you. And they don't trust you. So put put the work in there. Put the work in being so interested in them, they can't help but love you. Well, I mean, that last quote, too, is such a great point, whether or not you're dealing with clients or trying to even learn yourself by going to a workshop or whatever else. Because, you know, I think sometimes we think, oh, is this going to be worthwhile? And it's like, if you learn one thing, you know, if you can help your client learn one thing, if you can even just connect on one thing, like one thing is really all you need. And you don't have to have some earth shattering experience every time. It's just making that single connection and building that trust or, you know, taking away one thing to make yourself better. It's the small changes, basically. Yeah, it always is. Uh, uh, Dan John has got this great, um, well, hell, life philosophy, that most of the progress that you make is when you is, is doing the little bit every day. You have these spurts and, and sprints where you do a lot of stuff, but if you look back over the course of your entire life, in fact, it's easy for him. He keeps a record of everything in these mead composition notebooks that he has stacked up in his garage. Uh, he can look back and say, oh, I made the most progress when I was just punching the clock. I made the most progress when I was doing the little things. And that's something that he is not has taken not just to picking up heavy stuff, but all of life. Like if I just keep moving forward a little bit, that's where the real stuff happens. That's where the real progress happens. 
And it's through learning from that, as you, as you said, you're, you're teaching, you're not just giving them a program, you're teaching them why they should have the values. You're helping them understand like the real, like fundamental, the real basics of everything. Because when you do that and you instill those values over the nine to 12 months, like they'll stick. They won't just be something they're doing until, you know, something better comes along or they can try and find another quick fix. And I think that's so important for coaches that it's, it's not just giving them a program. It's really teaching them. It's not exercises. It's, it's the values. And and that's something that even if they leave you for a new fad or a stupid trick or a stupid cleanse, if you've given them the tools to critically examine what their values are and giving them the tools to and educated them on what works and what doesn't, they come back. That was one of the craziest things that we noticed when we started putting together these big communities of people um, working on habits is that people who left had this nasty habit of coming back when we treated them. Like when we fully embodied one, another one of our mottos, which is everything is optional. Whenever we communicate with people, uh, whenever we teach them something, we let them know, hey, do whatever you want. I, I, I won't judge you as a person. It's fine. If you want to leave this program, that's totally great. I want to actually thank you for all of the work that you've put in up until this point helping other people in the program. Um, we got back 75% of the people who left just because they would – we'd given them enough to critically examine the other things that were in their life. Um, or my favorite example, we had a guy who I think he was, he was in one of my fat loss habit programs for like two weeks and then he left. But then every time I opened up a new program for the next couple of rounds, I would get, uh, someone I'd never, I had not communicated with at all sign up and I'd say, Oh, how did you hear about me? And they said, Oh, I heard about you from this guy, the guy that had quit. He sent me five new referrals. And so I sent him a, a message. I said, hey, thanks so much. I, I really appreciate these referrals, but I have to admit, I'm very surprised because you left. He goes, yeah, I did. I thought your program was dumb. <laughs> I was like, wait, but you sent me five people. He's like, yeah, it was great for them. It just wasn't for me. So he had learned our values. They just weren't his. But holy crap, did he not send us more people? And I think that speaks volume to the the fact that when you don't burn bridges it's so much better for your business and your relationships because you never know like you said maybe he just thinks his friends have dumb values <laughs> but they'll be a perfect match with what you're offering yeah that's one of, I, I can't recommend this enough when people leave you treat them with as much effusive praise and love and, and genuineness as when they joined you uh they will go out into the world with that as their last impression of you. And if you're on, and this is, and I, I've, I kind of kind of embody this in a joke that I tell people is that I've never lost a client. I just have a bunch that are on an extended break <laughs> and just don't give up on them either. Don't think that just because they're quitting, that they're quitting. All change is not linear. It has fits and starts. It has relapses. Um, that's true of everyone and true of any big change. It's not linear. So when people are leaving you, don't think that this is the last time that you're going to have that talk. When people are saying, oh, I don't have the money right now, be like, I totally understand that that you have some, like, you've got really important priorities and level with them and connect with them and be interested in their life enough that 
you can communicate to them. You're not judging them. It's cool. It's totally cool. It'll, it'll work out. I think that also goes back to the point of teaching, though. You're not like trying to have some secret that they can't learn. You're trying to teach them to do this on their own. And if they want to be there afterwards or to continue on forever, that's great. But you're not trying to hold them back by not giving them some information. You're trying to teach them so they can do it on their own. Like I have a ton of clients and I'm like, they could technically go work out on their own. They don't need me, but they like the community. They like the support. They want to be there, but not because I'm making it some secret thing that they can't understand. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's that connection and it's teaching them and that keeps them referring people, even if they're gone or it keeps them coming back when they do have a struggle because you're teaching them value so they can be independent people. Totally. And I think that's one of the, that everything is optional attitude is so key to say, hey, everything's optional and this is how we do things here. It's so key to maintaining that, um, what it does is promote their sense of autonomy. It reminds them, you're an adult, you can make your own choices. Because at the end of the day, that's actual reality. They can always leave you. They're the ones with the power. And if you try to hold on to them or control them, it's just presented over time. Uh, in fact, it's, it's another fun psychological term. It's called reactance. We react against things that try to control us or curtail our autonomy. So every time you try to control someone or, or try to bully them or, or, or shame them or guilt them into stuff, you're writing little checks that are going to come due. You're, you're using a double-edged sword to mix metaphors. Um, and just just remember that... The goal here is to get them to make these decisions from their own internal place. To, to, for them to go, no, I want to do this because I like it. <laughs> I want to do this because I can. I get. I get it. Yeah, and I think I, I heard the analogy of it's like burying a seed, where you never know what that's going to grow into, but at some point, it's likely going to grow into something. So I think you avoid that scenario when you don't put that pressure and you, you, you the reactance that that was that term, correct? Where you, where you're you're letting them decide for themselves, and you're not giving that resistance. Totally, and that's uh, and I, I should be clear when I say autonomy. I mean, I'm using it in a very specific, like psychological science way. Um, it's not letting people do whatever they want, as in, um, like not giving them any instruction. It's not that it, it, you can be very autonomy supportive and give very clear structure. Like that, those two things work together. In fact, um, there. But it all comes down to the way that you communicate it. It all comes down to the way of saying. A, for example, there's a big difference between saying, do this stuff on this checklist. And, hey, here's the plan that I've got written up for you today. What do you think? Those I, are, sorry, th sorry uh, those, two those two examples of doing the exact same thing, presenting someone with a program. One's autonomy supported and one is being an asshole. <laughs> well, I was actually going to go off of that because sometimes my clients will be like, oh, Corey won't let me do this. I are like Corey won't let me do something and they use that as an excuse to to like get out of a party or whatever else. And yeah. I'm like I'll, I'll constantly say to them I'm like, "Well, you know you're choosing not to do this. I can give you guidelines, I can give you advice, but you're technically making this decision to, you know, be healthier, to, you know, take the time to work out even if it means meeting your friends later." And they'll they'll sometimes say, "Oh, Corey told me I had to do this." But it's like 
I, I t- always remind them, I'm like, no, you're actually making this, this healthy lifestyle change yourself. You're making this decision. And if you want to blame it on me with your friends, that's fine by me. But <laughs> it, it's important to point out that they actually are making that decision on yeah. their own, even if it's with your guidelines. And I think, see, the, the 1,200 hours of supervised counseling skills that I had in grad school is creeping in right now. And, and the thing that um, I see in that opportunity I see uh, uh, in that moment an opportunity that I am utterly obsessed with. I am so interested in that, why that person is doing that. I would go into that situation. If someone told me that story, I'd say, hey, I'd say just exactly what you said. You know, you're the one like making these choices. Like I'm not in your head, like literally making these choices for you. But I'm really interested why you brought me, like why, why you used, why you did that, why you said that. Uh, why you uh, said that this I wouldn't let you do it because you know you could totally do whatever you want. I I think you're awesome regardless. But let's have a conversation about why that is because my instinct is that that person is afraid of being judged by their friends. Now, if I can take this moment to give them some tools to make them feel more competent in their uh, relationship with their friends. In fact, it usually shows up as, hey, let's just role play. What would you say to your friends if it wasn't throwing me under the bus? Like, what <laughs> what would you actually say? And in that five-minute conversation in between sets, if they actually practice telling their friends, no, I actually am not going to show up because uh, I'm not going to go out drinking because I don't want to. That's a much cooler tool. That is a much better off client then walked in five minutes earlier. It's totally true. And I do think part of it too, when they say that is even an accountability, like they're using me as an accountability for themselves. They think it's also, you know, like not just them holding themselves accountable, but they have this community that's supporting their lifestyle change. So I think that's sometimes part of it too. But I totally agree that it's also making them look at their reactions to certain things so they can learn and internalize the values even further. Totally. And you just have to, you just got to hold a mirror to it and say, hey, what's up with this? Like, that's all it is. Just say, like, I noticed this thing that you just did. Why? What's up with that? But in a curious way, not an asshole way. <laughs> a being interested way. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's funny because it seems on the surface like it's just an excuse. So I love that you dig into it so much deeper to actually find the why into why it's being said. Oh, this is, it's a great trick and i was i would love to tell you i learned this at grad school but i actually learned it um in before i went to grad school i i took a little i don't want to call it detour because it was an important part of my life where i applied to be a marine corps officer um i was a marine corps officer candidate and one of the master sergeants uh with one of his mottos was remember that the excuses are the path if you have an excuse for why you don't want to do stuff, you just found out the thing that you need to do in order to get through to the next level. Um, the excuses that people are bringing up are actually opportunities that show the way to their journey. Um, if someone has an excuse, that's a fantastic opportunity for you to get hella interested in what, why that's an excuse. Not with any judgment. Just be like, what's up with that? And it really does light the way forward. It, it's They're telling you everything they need to know. You just got to help them see it themselves. It doesn't matter if you see it. They've got to see it. 
But I think as a coach, it's also about, you know, not just counting those reps or counting the sets, but truly listening to what dialogue is going on during the session so you can get to the heart of those things. Because too often, (laughs) I think we're not focused on that, you know, and you need to be. And I'm probably the opposite extreme. I'm like, you know, the the heavy things are, we can get that done in like 10 minutes. Tell me, (laughs) tell me more about what's going on in your life. Like, that's so much more interesting to me. Well, and it's it's so important because that really is, you know, where everything stems from, the consistency with the workouts, the consistency with, you know, healthy diet, the consistency mm-hmm. with everything and those habit changes. And I mean, it's just, it's so important. And right now I'm doing a lot of self-reflection, like, oh gosh, what excuses have I made that I need to, you know, <laughs> face and sort of go forward with? Oh yeah, they're, um, they're a great tool for ourselves too. Like it, it's a great trigger thing of habits. It's just like, oh, I just made an excuse. What's up with that? Like what? <laughs> Why am I bringing that up? You know, it's a great uh, personal growth tool as well. So do you have sometimes moments where you forget to self-reflect like that because you're doing so much working with your clients? Um, well, at this point, uh, I, I don't actually have take clients. I'm run a company. So that's, <laughs> that's, uh, or workshops or anything like that. Yeah. But... <laughs> uh, the, your question is: Do I not? Am I not self-reflective? I'm sure. I am. I am so such a navel gazer. Like I am a, just obsessed with why I do stuff, and I always have been. My mom used to make fun of me for it when I was three, but I have. Of course, I've got blind spots, uh, and and there's no better way to learn what blind spots you have than by just having really honest friends, and and really honest mentors. Uh, Dan is so great at asking me the dumb obvious question that points out my biggest blind spots he is so smart that way he's just like hey what what's up with that why did you do that and i go ah i did it because i didn't want to do this other thing or whatever like it's just a super valuable tool um to have honest friends and honest mentors so yeah i totally need that um but I'm probably I'm probably self-aware to a fault. Yeah, that's great though. I mean, practicing what you preach. So, so I have to ask, what's in store for the future of Habitry? Uh, we just launched a well a couple of weeks ago uh, a new podcast that we absolutely love making called the Better Cast. Um, the Better Cast is uh, real stories of people getting better at stuff. Uh, we interview people um, and ask them about anything that their life in their life that they were less awesome at, uh, that they are now better at, and how they got better at it. And we've just had some really cool conversations about that kind of change. And then we help, uh, and then we frame that in the motivation science behind what's going on, uh, what you're hearing in these stories, and how it relates to uh, actual uh, the, the actual evidence for how people. Um, build new habits and stay motivated for stuff. And in addition to those interviews with with regular people, we have really awesome interviews with experts uh, from motivation science. So people like Jennifer Lagardia and Heather Patrick, who are just the most. Um, if there was a pantheon of uh, behavior change science, they would be in it. And we've had some really cool conversations with that. So we've got some people, some great stuff for people who are interested in just hearing about what change is really like, uh, what progress and learning is really like. And then we've got, if you just want to take a super deep dive and get really nerdy on, on behavior change, we've got those interviews too. So we're really excited about that. And you can, 
uh, subscribe on iTunes or check out habitry.com slash bettercast. And we're also on SoundCloud. Basically, anywhere you want to get a podcast, we're there. I love the focus on stories, though, because it's how you really connect with people and you can see things that maybe you're repeating versus sometimes if you're just told, oh, you can do X, Y, and Z when trying to create habits, it doesn't make that personal connection or build Mm -hmm. that sort of community and support network. Oh, totally. And and that was one of the things that I got increasingly frustrated with uh, is that the standard stories of change out there in the world are exceptions, not the rule. And most of the stories about how people are actually making real impacts on their lives are um, people thought they were too boring. That was the amazing thing to me. It's like, oh, yeah, this is I I learned how to ride a bike better. And then it turns into an hour long conversation about how that impacted their their sense of leadership and how one has to uh, if one really wants to be a leader, you have to fall on the sword of your own dignity. Like, and that started out as a conversation about riding a bike that she thought was boring. <laughs> like, how is that? How is that possible? So it's really cool stories like that that a lot of people have, but just don't. Um, uh, never had the context for realizing how freaking awesome they were. <laughs> I love that because those are really the stories that make such a big difference that people don't share enough. So I, I love that you're sharing those. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's been it's been really fun. So now I'm going to try to do my part and be a good host because mm. you've given us so much information. So I want to <laughs> now ask you some personal questions about you in a segment we call the Fast Five Fitness Facts. Sure. Where we're just going to give you five questions and you can give us your best answer. Are you ready? Hit me. So question number one, what is your favorite exercise? Um, my favorite exercise is avoiding that question because it's stupid. I like that answer. See, what what the best part about this is you're open to interpretation, interpreting <laughs> it any way you want. So the more creative, the better. So I, I dig that. <laughs> I, I was really going to assume that it was going to be running, and I don't know why. I thought maybe it would be running. No, absolutely not. <laughs> so, so now I'm expecting an equally creative answer to what exercise do you love to hate? Um... I don't do them, but I hate them. Like I guess something that's just true of of, of the sort of long term sustained motivation is uh, falling in love with stuff and doing it because, and then remembering why you do it. So every uh, every every workout I do, do is usually involves kettlebells because um, I fell in love with Dan's five human movements plus one. Um, for those who don't know, uh. uh I helped Dan write the book Intervention, which is all about those basic human movements. And I, I fell in love with them. So even when I don't like them, I remember, like, I, I go through the exercise of remembering why that, why they're so awesome and what about them makes me feel good. So, yeah, that's my, that's my creative dodge for that question. I don't do <laughs> stuff I hate. Uh, I just try to remember the stuff, remember why I love it when I'm in the middle of hating it. Staying down the path of books, what is the best book you've ever read? Um, hmm, best book I've ever read. Uh, it's, it's, I'm going to have to mention The Magus by John Fowles, but it's a trick question because I haven't finished it. Uh, my high school film teacher was his favorite book and he gave it to me 
to read just right before he died. And every time I pick up that book, I start reading it from the beginning and I make it as far as I can until I can't. And it's a really important book to me because I always want to be reading it for the first time. That's, that's very interesting. It's uh, almost the emotional connection to the book, not even just what the book says. Yeah. All right. So what's your favorite pump up song? Mm, pump up song. Uh, uh, Nightmares on Wax. Um, and I'm now, I'm, of course, I'm blanking on the name of the song. Um, Nightmares on Wax is the band. Uh, hang on. I, I'm luckily I'm at my computer. Uh, you wish nightmares on wax. You wish. And if you could train with one person alive or dead, who would it be? And why? Uh, the answer is always Dan John. It, it's cause it's never boring. <laughs> you always uh, remember why you like working out, even if you hate it at the moment. It's so true. And I've done the dumbest stuff with him. I've done, uh, he, he had his, he had a hip replacement. Uh, it, it was after he had his hip replacement. We started hanging out a lot more cause we would go to the beach, uh, in over here in, uh, Pacifica. And that sounds pleasant, except if you've ever been in Northern California, you know that the beach is probably the least place, pleasant place you could go. Uh, it's cold, it's raining, it's windy, and the water is barely 50 degrees. And, and rocky, let's not forget about that. <laughs> and shark infested. Let's also not forget about that. So his PT, his physical therapy was, we would work out on the beach with bells, and then he, he, we would go into the ocean, and he would just kind of float at first, and then we would, you know, he would work his way up to doing some more intense stuff. But it was the only thing that like really eased the pain of that full hip replacement. And we get hypothermia a number of times. Uh, and I'm like, not legit hypothermia of being in the water too long and without wetsuits. Uh, and I've done some stupid stuff with him, but it was always fun. Well, thank you so much for sharing so much great information. Can you tell our listeners where they can follow up with you and find out more information about Habitry, Steve-O? Sure. Um, if you are a coach, check out habitry.pro. Uh, if you are, that's if you're interested in learning more about um, uh, working with clients uh, and the ways that I've just described. If you are a regular fitness person who's like, I'm interested in all these concepts, but I don't work with other people, check out habitry.com and especially check out the BetterCast. Uh, it's a great entry point into learning more about. Uh, motivation science and hearing some awesome stories great and we will link out to all those steve thanks so much again for joining us yeah it was so much fun guys thanks so much for having me thanks for listening to the fitness hacks podcast by redefining strength for the show notes and more episodes visit redefiningstrength.com